Hi, everyone, and welcome to Recovering the Pines podcast show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brandon Lee, along with the co-owners and co-founders of Recovering the Pines, uh, Albert Black and Doug Dolan, who are here in studio with me today. And today we're talking about numbing agents, mm-hmm. which is going to be really, really fasting and triggers. Yes. So triggering and numbing agents. And first, I want to just talk about what is a trigger. So a trigger can be a variety of things. You know, what I watch is, and I map out for our clients, I see them go down one of two paths. And this isn't just true for people that have issues of addiction. This is just true of human nature. Mm -hmm. We have a compulsive path and we have a curious path. The compulsive path, we may have some kind of activating or cue-like event. And trauma can trigger us in certain ways, right? Other things can stimulate us and trigger us in certain ways. And if it's something that is either pain producing or pleasure producing, how do we go to either a numbing agent for the pain Mm. or we go to a stimulant for the pleasure? And all we're really doing is distracting ourselves in a lot of ways of what's driving those triggers. We're typically building up consequences against ourselves because if it's a substance, we're going through a relapse and now we have we have you know consequences from that and we're staying stagnant in our own development. And as we do that, we have greater guilt, greater shame, greater pain. And you just put yourself to the top of the list again and you become much more hyper-efficient at this compulsive path. Actually, your neural pathways will wire together to make you more efficient at it. And the dopamine production will incentivize you to go down that path versus an offsetting path of a curious path, which says, I could still have those activating events, those triggers, right? But instead of going to the numbing agent or stimulant, what's the healthy solution in this situation? And I need to put it into action so I can experience the rewards of that and have the transformation and living a life of purpose. And the more you do that path, actually, your life starts to open up more and more. You have more and more opportunities. So numbing agents can be drugs. They can be alcohol. We can use sex. We can use money. We can do use food. We can use anger. We can use procrastination. There's a variety of things that are either numbing or stimulants that we have to take a look at. And that's part of what we go through in our program. I want people to get to a point of not just being given tools to cope mm-hmm. when they are triggered. Mm-hmm. I want to heal them so that they're not triggered. Absolutely. And there's a huge difference. There is. It's just like, why do I want to go through life? Yeah, my therapist and I I, I have all these tools, right? Okay, if this happens, I'm going to use my toolbox. I'm going to tap into that in order to deal with this situation. And I'm more or less, well, how about we just get you to the point where you're not triggered by someone. You're not triggered by your environment. You're not triggered by these things. Right. Right. Well, I think it's by good... um, good therapy. You know, there's a lot of therapy out there and it's, it's a journey. It's a process. And it's about really understanding yourself. Like we can know things, you know, there's information, mm. there's knowledge and there's wisdom. There's tons of information. I think we're overstimulated with information. And then I think the knowledge part, I think what you're talking about, the knowledge part is when you take that information and you start to assimilate it, you start to understand it. But the wisdom is actually living it out, the application. I think most people are stuck in either information or knowledge, and they rarely get to the wisdom part of learning how to deal with those, those triggers and trauma and all those things. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. I kind of use the, uh, 
you know, the saying, we've had a saying over the last couple of years of safe spaces. And yes, we want to make sure we don't have toxic environments and, you know, we're not bringing guns into school and those sorts of things. But it's wholly unrealistic to think we're going to make the whole world safe for everybody. Because sometimes people's perception of what is safe is not based upon reality, but it's based upon an old trigger. There's no way we can make the whole world safe for everybody. So how do we make people then safe in all spaces? And so it is doing this work, going down this curious path implementing these healthy solutions that help me start to heal and change my relationship with whatever those triggers may have been of the past because otherwise those triggers have us on autopilot we're unconsciously incompetent on our way that we're going to go deal with life and then going down this curious path and implementing it over and over again rewires our brain rewires our behaviors rewires the dopamine and what it incentivizes us to do where we can either become consciously competent or even unconsciously competent with going and doing the right thing and that's why you know, we're not just a 30-day program. You're not going to learn all of that inside of 30 days. We've got to see it implemented over and over and over again. And you're going to fail. You're going to fail at it at different times, which is part of the process too. But we can get you back on course on what really works. You know, eating a piece of chocolate releases dopamine. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if somebody, you know, they get a rush from eating a piece of chocolate, there's, I mean, the scientific data shows how much dopamine is released, how much so- dopamine yes. is released uh, by nicotine, yes. right? And it's this li- the, these trickles of dopamine that are getting you an extended rush yes. that are not natural, Correct. right? We're using these stimulants, these, these other agents out there because they're making us feel good. Now, listen, it's okay to have a piece of chocolate, sure. right? But then it becomes for someone who is unhealed, mm-hmm. right? Well, God, I felt better. And then guess what they're going to do? They're going to go eat more chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to smoke even more in order to get that dopamine hit. But guess what? That dopamine eventually will not hit the same way. So we're having to overeat, right? We're having to overconsume that's right. something that could be considered healthy. And I think that's also one of the things we get stuck in in society is trauma is the gateway, right? And we all use different numbing agents so we don't have to feel. And for some people, it's food. Right. Do we tell someone you can never eat again? No, but it's understanding that we have to heal whatever is triggering you, that you're wanting to eat food in the way that you do, Right. that has now become detrimental to your health. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's taking that journey inside. Most people don't know themselves. And so they're just responding and reacting to all types of situations. You know, there's like a DNA imprint. It's on a cellular level. Like we don't even know why we do things. But what we're trying to teach people is to learn why you do the things that you do. You know, again, it's like a, a car, an engine, uh, your dashboard on your car. You know, there's a check engine light, there's a fuel pressure, there's, you know, a gas gauge, there's a tire pressure, there's all these gauges. And like when they go off, you respond appropriately. But most people just have all these things going off and they're, they're just reacting to whatever's coming at them. They don't know why they do the things that they do. Well, and also what you spoke about dopamine, that chocolate and that dopamine, and they have different spikes, right? So food, if I'm not mistaken, is at about, you have a baseline for dopamine and food is at about 200 to 250% of baseline. You get that spike. And a lot of people talk about dopamine as being the pleasure neurotransmitter. It's actually the precursor to adrenaline. It's the thing that gets us up to go 
get that thing that we see as a reward. Now, the thing is, is dopamine is dumb in essence, meaning if your reward is unhealthy, but you perceive it as a reward, dopamine will incentivize you to go get it until you make this transition to attach it to something healthier. So if food is at about 200 to 250%, Things like meth are at like a thousand to 1300%. And so, man, you can have these spikes. And if we continue to overstimulate ourselves because dopamine needs to re-regulate, drop below baseline and and reach a homeostasis, a balance. It's a balance. It's like, you know, you have the gremlins here and you got the dopamine over here, you know, and there has to be a balance because every time you get a dopamine rush, your brain's pushing the other way. Correct. And it feels like it's driving up pain, which can just be the absence of something. And so it needs this balance. And if we don't let it re-regulate because we jump from, if it's the same thing, chocolate to chocolate, to chocolate, to chocolate, or chocolate to gaming, to, you know, other things, substances, whatever. And we keep it artificially high at a period in time, the brain says, if you won't let me re-regulate, I'll do it this a different way. And it drops baseline. And as it drops baseline, it also drops that high equivalently. So we're chasing that high and now we're doing more or we're overstimulating ourselves in other ways and as it also drops baseline for that it drops baseline on all things so if you used to get joy from going out and exercising or going out in nature or spending time with friends and family you now suddenly have less joy doing it and you just don't feel motivated to go do it in the same way that you did before and there could be other triggering events that come up there so if i feel less joy and i struggle and get activated being around my parents or something of that nature, we just start to isolate more and we stay on this compulsive path. And it takes me back to what we talked about at the top of this episode was trying to get someone so that they're not triggered to go and use these numbing agents Yep, unhealthy, mm-hmm. right? And so that to me leads us to reprocessing work, right? Yes. And in order for us to actually heal from whatever is triggering us, mm-hmm. You know, we have to get past the frontal lobe, Mm -hmm. right? And we have to reprocess whatever traumatic events because I tell people, you know, I was at my last job, you know, I had a boss and she was so triggering to me and I couldn't necessarily figure out why, but I found out when I finally started to do the reprocessing work, which by the way, I did not begin until year 11 in recovery. Okay. Year 11 is when I began the reprocessing work was that, oh, she reminded me mm-hmm. of my mother. Mm. Ah, well, unfortunately, I grew up with a very sick mom who, you know, I ca- caused a lot of damage, you know, for the good and the bad, right? Unintentionally, I can see that now. Yeah. Her intent was to always love me, love me unconditionally and do the best she could for me, but she was unhealed from her trauma. Mm. So naturally, she passed down that trauma to me. And so what I had to do was to go back and I tell people, you know, when somebody triggers you, mm-hmm. Not necessarily them, right? but this is actually telling you this is an opportunity for you Mm -hmm. that you have to go back because you have some unresolved trauma. Because I want to live in a life where I'm not constantly triggered by things that are happening around me. Right. And there again, like I mentioned earlier, that's why we're not just a 30-day program. You talked about I got into it at year 11. Right. And if you don't 
start to pay attention, become aware and accept certain things about that so you can get into healthy action on how to move through it and change your relationship with it. So I minimize or eliminate being triggered by it. You know, that that work is going to take time. And if you never do the work, you're going to stay stuck in certain cycles. You're going to be activated on a certain unhealthy autopilot, like you're just going to be driven in a certain way. Right. Right. And you also don't want to try to do all that work right up front at 30 days if somebody is still in kind of this crisis mode typically how they come to us fight or flight yeah fight or flight and now you're doing all this heavy intensive work right up front everybody's going to want to bolt or just numb themselves out stimulate themselves it's way too much i can't handle it it's almost like going to the gym and if somebody hasn't exercised in the gym in a long time and let's say they can bench press 100 pounds but says i really want to get in shape really quick let's put 300 pounds on you right now and start pumping that you're going to crush them they're going to quit after the first session it'll never work so you've got to titrate them into what they can handle mentally emotionally physically spiritually and then get into that some of the awareness aspect my mind is cleared i can start to become aware and as albert mentioned you know having that therapist that's adept at understanding how do i tap into that channel in which you're getting activated on because if i try to you know, do just talk therapy at the executive level and you're getting activated at that animal level, it's just not going to connect. No, because that animal, that, that amygdala, that yep. fight or flight response will take over all the tools that you've been taught by a therapist if you're constantly just using the frontal lobe. That's right. And I say this because when I say it took me till year 11 to finally do the healing work, well, guess what? I was triggered mm-hmm. one night, the mm-hmm. night before Thanksgiving. You know, I don't have a close relationship. There was a lot of just neglect being okay. raised on not a lot of family time ever. Mm. And so I was reconnected with my godmom and I was supposed to go for Thanksgiving to California to spend time with her. She calls me up as I'm packing my bags on that Wednesday to drive out to California and goes, you cannot come. She goes, I'm going to go back and see my kids in Michigan in two weeks. And I can't have you here because the chance of you giving me COVID and then I won't be able to see my kids. All of a sudden, I felt rejected. That neglect, it was the inner child that I never healed, right? Took over. And I had 11 years of continuous recovery. That night, I relapsed on meth. Mm -hmm. I used a numbing agent. Mm-hmm. To, to numb myself, mm-hmm. right? I had 11 years of this. I had been in talk therapy for seven years mm-hmm. up until that point. I had gone to five meetings a week for 10 years, okay? Dude, it took over. None of this mattered anymore. Right. And I numbed out and, and I got triggered. What I now understand, and I honestly look at that experience as the biggest blessing of my life because it got me to finally, to finally understand Wow, that moment of my godmom saying, hey, you can't come for Thanksgiving was the thing that got me to relapse. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. And it's also why I don't even count time in recovery anymore. Because what I realized up until that point, dude, I don't care how many medallions you have. It doesn't equal anything. It doesn't guarantee you're not going to relapse. Had nothing. Those medallions for me had nothing to do with healing my inner child. Had nothing to do with the reprocessing work. Mm-hmm. That was just a medallion reward of congratulations. You haven't picked up or used in 10, 11, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't save me from anything. Mm-hmm. You know, just recently, Brandon, I've I've been sober 11 and a half years now, and I um, haven't wanted to 
to look at trauma. Well, I didn't think I had any. You know, I had I had a couple events in my life that are traumatic, you know, and they're real. My dad committed suicide. My biological father wasn't in my life, you know. Uh, those are traumatic things, you know, not intentionally done to me, but no. they're things I, I lived through. And, you know, just, just growing up and, and just being the way I was and being married, you know, and I look at how I've engaged my wife and my kids, you know, I, I have a short fuse. And, and just you recently introduced me to someone that I've been working with. And it's just amazing uh, the freedom that I have by going down and looking deep inside because it really is from childhood. You know, I would get triggered. My wife would be like, I want to go visit my brother in California. So my wife's going to take my kids and go out of town. And I would have this overwhelming anxiety. I mean, just like I could feel it. And what I've realized, like, that's like my dad was here one day and he's not here. And I lived through that. I know what it's like to like, they're just gone. And so I'm not thinking my wife's going to go, you know, kill herself or anything, but I was, I was just afraid that she won't come back. Mm. And, and on a cellular level, I'm not even thinking it that way in my no. head, but I just have all this anxiety. And now I know it's like, oh, that's why you feel that way, Correct. you know, which is really cool. And then I tell myself, well, that's a lie. You know, that's not, that's not what's going on. So I'm able to, cause we would get in fights over it. No, I don't want you to go. You know, I would be like, you know, whatever. And, and today I don't respond that way. You know, just yesterday I saw my, my son and my daughter get in a fight over a chicken wing and, and I'm just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's you hilarious. know, and I just see how, how things are imprinted in them that I've created, you right. know, it's just, uh, and it's, you know, and, and I go back to that moment. It was really such a, a, a teaching moment for me because what I had to go back and, and realize was that I had to go back and, and heal that inner child, that little boy who lives inside of me to sit there and go, I got you now. And like, you don't have to be, you're not abandoned. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here for you. Like I love you and I'm here for you. And you know, things will happen, but there's just that moment of my godmother telling me I couldn't come just that inner child would go, see, here you go. Here we go again. You reconnect with someone who helped raise you in your childhood. You recently connect with them and look what just happened. They already abandoned you on Thanksgiving. See, you can't trust anybody. F this, right. you know, and that's when I escaped. And this is where I tell people. And that was a trigger, right? So it's absolutely. going back to healing that part of me so yes. that I'm not triggered the next time someone has to cancel a plan on me. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize until they, you know, do a lot of this work. Most people don't see others as they are. They see others as they are. Mm. Meaning because we have these different things that have been imprinted on us. So your aunt, for very practical reasons or other loving reasons, I want to go spend Thanksgiving with my kids. Correct. And I'm terrified for whatever reason that I might get COVID. So I can't have you here. It doesn't mean I don't love you. Correct. But you're seeing her as you were. Correct. And she's abandoning, abandoning me. me. She doesn't care about me. Right. And so it's transforming that lens in which we're interpreting the world and how yes. that impacts our perceptions, our beliefs. But again, it gets us at a very deep level. 
right? And so like you said, intellectually, I may be able to tell myself that's not what's happening, but this other level where I'm getting activated is overriding that. And so I go do the things I don't want to. I violate myself again. Correct. Right? And that can be more traumatizing. Because Once even again, when abandoning it, your inner child again. It's like, absolutely. I'm going to abandon you again and we're going to go numb and we're going to go do this, which is actually going to further cause a rift. That's right. So if we also look at like in a military sense, if you break them, break uh, vets into two categories relative to PTSD, some PTSD is what they witnessed that activated them or triggered them, that they saw something that was horrific. But part of the PTSD can be, I got squeezed into a life and death situation and I committed acts that I never thought I was going to be that person. And unintentionally so, I may have killed innocent people and I never thought I was going to be that person, right? And so now you've got to take a look at both those types of scenarios when if I get activated by AMP, but then I go violate myself in certain ways and I said I was never going to be that person, you have different work that you need to do in those two different scenarios and seeing, hey, how easily is it for us to get triggered in those ways where, again, we're unconsciously competent to go do the thing that has been imprinted on us from the past? I'm just thinking everything's a trigger and you know, for most people. Um, I'm thinking what you're describing is talking about environmental uh, trauma and situational trauma. And I think, you know, we're just exposed to that all the time. Um, Nobody can. And it's important for people to understand this. Mm -hmm. Nobody escapes trauma. Right. Nobody does. And in saying that, by the way, we are not excusing or weakening people. No. When you can accept that that is true, you can actually empower yourself. Now, what am I going to do with it? So I'm not on this autopilot that's ha- leading me to unhealthy you know, thoughts. And it's not playing victim to it either. That's right. You know, because exactly. we can sit there and, and I think you guys have your own experience of understanding the folks that you guys are helping each and every day. Yep. A lot of it is childhood trauma, mm-hmm. right? And so we tell people, my goodness, no, you know, what happened to you as a child, most certainly it is not your fault. Mm-hmm. It is not like you didn't have the ability to fight back, right? Like, or some things like out of control, like, you know, when your father died by suicide, I mean, what happened to you is not your fault, but it is absolutely your responsibility as an adult right. to go back, reprocess, and heal from that trauma so that it does not dictate and destroy your life. That's right. And so you brought it up earlier. It's kind of having your own parent-child relationship. You I'm have going to. back and protecting and healing the child the in me, child. right? Correct. Because if not, there's a big difference between being childish and childlike. And the more that we've been activated, the more that we have unresolved trauma, we're potentially going to have childish responses, meaning tantrums or things of that nature, or seeking out, I'm going to take care of my own needs, but in potentially unhealthy ways. The childlike nature is that sense of wonder, that sense of joy, that sense of curiosity, that sense of play. And so we have to see, hey, where have we been activated? Where have we been triggered? Where have we been impacted? That... The parent in me is now taking responsibility, taking ownership, and I'm going to do the work to heal that inner child in me. Yeah. And, the, yeah, go uh, ahead. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, again, that we're talking about, you know, triggers and numbing agents. And I just, from my own experience, you know, I used cocaine. Mm-hmm. I used women. 
I use money. I use anger. You know, I use, those are the things that I, you know, that I know a lot of men use. And, and, and they work for you. At as a, you at perceive a, it. You know, yeah, they, as they, you perceive they, it. They, right. they, you know, it's how I survived until I couldn't survive. And so imagine in what he just said, if he went to a place and all they focused on was the cocaine. Right. And they didn't focus on the women. They didn't focus on the money. You would find other things in you life will, because right. you would constantly be re-triggered. You would just find another numbing agent. And you're like, well, see, I'm not using cocaine or I'm not using right. sex in the way I used to. So I, I guess I'm not bad. But I love the, the childish and childlike because each and every day, if I teach three to four sessions a day for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm my inner child gets to come out and play. That's that is right. childlike. That's right. right? I'm creating, I'm yep. giving, I'm creating that connection between adult Brandon and little B, my inner child, and giving an opportunity to come out and be a kid and get messy with paint and create and do something in a very healthy and connective way. And I also tell people, have you ever been in conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you look at them and you're like, I got, why are you acting like a child? It is because their childlike parts mm-hmm. have taken over. Yes. And they are acting like a child because their childlike parts have hijacked them and taken over. Right. And many because do, they've been triggered. That's right. And many don't either see it or understand it in the moment. And no. that, that becomes more difficult and complicated the older you get and leave it untreated. But like you're saying, you know, in being able to express yourself through art you can learn so many new things about yourself. See what pops out of yourself as you play, as you create, what's coming out of that. And just, again, reattaching those experiences to wonder, to joy, to curiosity, to peace, and things of that nature. You start to build the resilience because you realize, as I have these experiences, I can actually go do something and I can have a different outcome. I don't have to be stuck doing things the way that I've always done them. And then maybe have these negative emotions taking negative actions. And so it's just, a, you know, I really appreciate the work that you do through the art of soul and right. how you're reprocessing people, even in ways that they don't currently understand. And it, that's right? okay. I tell them, yeah. I was like, things will happen in here scientifically that that's you, right. you don't even know about, nor do you need to know yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. I just need you to be here, be present right. and just have a good time. That's right. Sometimes why doesn't matter, right? Now, Correct. don't worry, don't about, worry the about the science yeah, behind what we're really trying to do. Because if you try to overthink it, you won't do it. You'll stifle the they'll, creativity. They'll stay on top of like, oh, yeah. he's trying to get me into an alpha state. I'm in a state of beta right now. And no, 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 no. Just play yeah. the music, yeah, yeah. enjoy throw it. Some it throw some paint around and you'll just feel calmer by the end of session. Yeah. Uh, triggers and numbing agents. Great conversation. Thank yep. you. We yep. got to, we got to heal people so that they're not constantly triggered on a daily basis. Uh, for Albert Black, Doug Dolan and myself, Brandon Lee, thank you for watching this episode of Recovering the Pines. We'll see you back here for the next episode.